something in your life. Coveted. We're going to look at covetousness this evening. We saw, we saw leading up to this, we saw um, having a murmuring or critical spirit and replace that with the spirit of thanksgiving. And so we saw two weeks, we're going to look at a attitude and then we're going to look at the fix to that attitude. Now, the goal is this, not just to identify an attitude in our life that doesn't belong there and get rid of it and leave a void, because if you leave a void, you know what's going to happen? Something's going to fill that void. And most of the time, it's what you got out, it can sneak back in. And so getting rid of that attitude and then filling it with another attitude, we're going to look at contentment next week, being content, but this week, we're going to look at this, this attitude this attitude of covetousness. Now, it was interesting as I was studying through this, these are all attitudes that we're looking at that the children of Israel had when they were coming out of Egypt. And so we're going to call these wilderness attitudes. But how many of you, how many of you want to stay in the wilderness for your entire Christian life? No, we, we don't want to stay there. That's not where God intends for you to be. But this is where the children of Israel stayed because of their attitudes. And so we're going to look at Numbers chapter number 11. We're going to look at a covetous attitude. And really, materialism has a lot to do with us coveting. They say this, at poll, 63% of Americans admit they want to make lots of And so anything and everything to get money, to get money for what? For things. Right? More money, more things. More things, more happiness. Because 75% of Americans in this same poll relate prosperity to happiness. So if I get more, I'm happier. You know what the problem with that? The more you get, the more you want. You're never satisfied. And so covetousness is at the source of materialism. I, th this was a staggering number. $40 billion, it cost $40 billion to businesses in America of people that are stealing on the job. $40 billion, that's a lot of pens and paper clips, isn't it? It's probably more than just paper clips. $40 billion that people are stealing on the job because they want what's not theirs. Numbers chapter 11, look in place, put a marker in numbers so we can come back quickly okay in verse number four in the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting don't you like how the bible gets right to the point it didn't beat around the bush here now who's the mixed people that are amongst them these are these are israelites that married other nationalities in while they were in captivity um, in egypt and so and maybe it's an egyptian maybe it's someone from a different country that made their way to egypt like the israelites did but they're they're not Israelites, they're, they're um, uh, uh, mixed, the Bible would call them, and, and um, they, they fell a-lusting, or they began to think about what they wanted and they didn't have. And so what was the cause? And the children of Israel also wept again. That wept there, you know what it makes me think of as pouting? They wept, they pouted. I don't have this either. Do you ever, do you ever pout? I know adults don't pout, but the reality is adults pout, 
right? I don't have that. I don't get that. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I deserve that. And that's what's happening here. They're not like, boo-hoo. It's, it's pouting. It's, it's like a temper tantrum. You're right. We're, we're, we're without what we deserve here in, look what happens. They, they said this, who shall give us flesh to eat? Look what they're pouting about food. Manna, I've had enough of it. And look what they say. We, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. Like it was anywhere and everywhere and we could have fish anytime we want. We, we, um, we remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. This isn't fair. And, and look what verse number six says. But our, now our soul is dried away. Our, our soul is dried away. We're, we're so famished. We're so hungry. We can't even live any longer because everything good to eat is gone. And the people went about and gathered it. Uh, uh, verse number eight, they, they, they ground it is in mills. They beat it in mortar. This is what they were doing with this manna. They baked it in pans. It was like 101 ways to eat manna is what they were, they were doing here, putting a cookbook together. And they, however, however they made it, you know what happened? It tastes like fresh oil. Like No matter what they did with it, it tastes the same, is what the Bible's saying there. And we just were tired of this manna. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. Hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? And thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. And Moses gets to be a little bit complaining there. Like, God, what did what, you do this to me for? You, uh, I, I didn't want anything to do with this. I tried to talk myself and talk you out of this. And... And so Moses gets a little bit complaining, and, and something interesting, you know what God does in verse number 16, this is kind of a, uh, not necessarily part of our lesson, but God says, all right, Moses, I want you to gather unto me 70 men of elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle and to the congregation, that they may stand there with thee, and I will come down and talk with thee there, and I'll take of the spirit which is upon thee and pour it out on them. You know, he said, all right, Moses, if you can't handle it, if, you, if I'm not enough, then, then I'll get you some help. It, it, you always find Moses, whatever God asked Moses to do, it seems like the pattern with Moses is, I can't do this on my own. You're, you're not enough. And God says, okay, I'll give you Aaron. Okay, I'll give you these 70 men. And, and Moses just needs to be content with, if God's called you to do it, God's going to equip you to do it. If, if God's called you to be a, a husband or a wife, you know what God's going to do? He's going to equip you to do it. If he's called you to be a parent, you know what he's going to do? He's going to equip you to do it. If he's called you to a profession, you know what he's going to do? He's going to equip you to do it. And it's you not trusting God. I mean, God, what, what, you, you left me here to, to die again. Like the, the pressures you're enduring, you're enduring them. And instead of looking to God and thanking him, in looking to him for help, what you're saying is, I can't do this alone. And God says to Moses, okay, uh, what I had for you, Moses, I'll just keep, I'll give it to someone else, but I had this for you. I don't know where that came from this evening, but I hope it helps somebody. 
because we're looking at covetousness this evening. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a few points, and, and this is going to be a really, really bad outline. So if somebody, if somebody is a good out, at outlining, um, help me with this, okay? Um, because I started, in my notes, I started outlining, and then I, I got like subpoints to subpoints, and then I changed my outline, and, and it's a mess now. And so um, help me, the Holy Spirit needs to help me this evening on this. But I want, you to, I want you to write, I'm going to give you three statements, and then we're going to look at some things underneath of each of those statements, okay? In verse number 7, <clears throat> down to verse number 10, as we read, we find, we find that these Israelites, the, the strangers that are there and the Israelites, they're looking to what they don't have. And wanting what they don't have instead of looking to what God has given them in being content with what God's given them. What has God given them to eat? Manna. Now, let me, let me preface this as we begin this. Manna is everything that a human being could ever need to survive the wilderness. It would be like the most perfect food. It, it's, it's, it, there's no preservatives. Like, you could survive this. You don't get diabetes. You don't get cancer. You, you, don't, you don't get any, any sickness that, that food would, would bring because none of this is man-made. Every single ingredient that is made out of this is, is made from God. And God doesn't make anything bad. And so think about this. The ingredients that went into this manna, it was, it's... it's it's heavenly ingredients. This isn't like God said, all right, go down to the store, and every time you go down to the store, the baker's always going to have enough bread. This isn't like, hey, they're just going to keep breaking fish or bread that a little boy bought, and you're never going to run out of food. This isn't bread that was made by a human being that Jesus is just breaking and everybody is, is eating, or this isn't fish that was caught in a, in a lake that was maybe polluted, and they're just breaking it and giving this out. This is something that, that came by the hand of God. It's God's provision for them, and it's exactly what a human being would need to survive the cruel elements of the wilderness. It's everything. And it's in this manner that God just simply, it shows up. And so God is, is, is putting them in the wilderness, but you know what God is doing? God is putting the exact ingredients, the exact measurements, the exact thing that needs to nourish them and sustain them. That's what manna is. And hear me, please. God has manna in your life as well. Wherever he has you, wherever he has placed you, whatever he has given you is exactly what he knows that you need to survive. And not only to survive, but to thrive. In any time we start to look at something else than the manna that God has put there in our life, we become covetous, wanting something that isn't necessary for us in our life. Did you get that? Melons and leeks and garlic, and surely garlic, I mean, I, that garlic is not needed, and onions and all those things, cucumbers even, all the things that they want, none of those things are necessary. Now, I want to I say this as well. Please get this. All of those things were things that they were eating while they were in bondage. 
That's what they needed when they were slow. Delivered them from that and has gave them now a portion of man. And what do they say they want? I want what sustained me when I was in bondage. And God says, no, I'm going to give you manna because what you need is manna. And I want you to write this down, the statement, yielding to covetousness. We're going to look at yielding to covetousness and why God hates it. We're going to look at three things this evening. The first thing is this. We're going to look at yielding to covetousness and why God hates it. All right? Number one, I want you to write this down. Covetousness becomes sin when you yield to it. Covetousness becomes sin when you yield to it. Now, I'm going to give you three, three definitions of covetousness. And, 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 and I like these three definitions because I might say something and you say, that's not me. Oh, don't worry, we've got another definition of covetousness. And one of these three is probably going to hit us as we begin to do surgery in our soul and our attitude. You know, covetousness becomes sin when we yield to it. I want you to write this down, definitions of covetousness. One is this, covetousness is this, it's wanting wrong things. Pretty simple. It's wanting wrong things. I'm, I'm married and I want someone else. That's wrong. I, I, um, um, I, I, I want sinful things. I, I want addiction. or I, I'm wanting something that I can't have. This is wrong. And everyone would say, of course, that's covetousness. I want you to know this as well. Covetousness, number two, it's wanting right things, but for the wrong reason. Covetousness is wanting wrong things. But covetousness is also wanting right things, but for the wrong reason. I want this, which is good, but if I get this, then I have power. And if I have power, I'm in charge. And if I'm in charge, then everybody wants me. And, and, and so this covetousness wants you to have something so it feeds your flesh and feeds your pride. It's not necessarily what you want is wrong, but you want it for the wrong motives. You want it for the wrong reason. Number three would be this. Covetousness is wanting right things for the right reasons, but wanting them at the wrong time. Two people wanting to get married, they come and say, you know, we, we, we want to go through marriage counseling. We've got a date set. We want to get married. And wonderful, wonderful. Well, they come three, four months before they get married and say this, we just want you to know something. We're going to begin to sleep together. Well, wanting the right thing and wanting it for the right reason, but wanting it at the wrong time would be sin. There's nothing wrong with two people that are married having a, a relationship, a physical relationship. That's what is normal and proper in a marriage. But the wrong time before you're married would be sinful thing. I'm coveting something that it's mine, but it's not mine till the future. It's mine at the wrong time, and I still want it, and therefore it becomes sin. It's covetousness. In Numbers chapter 11, verse number 4, this entire chapter begins to speak about this attitude of coveting. This, I, I want... Flesh. I want food. I want something. And what they're saying is this. I want something that God isn't giving to me. Is what they're saying. You see that? I know what's best for me. I'm happy with my life right now. 
um, uh, 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 you're content with, with, with what you have, but, but, but covetousness is this. I, I'm looking for something more. I'm looking for something better. A spirit of contentment would be this. Whatever God is giving me, I'm content with it. I'm happy with it. I find joy in it. A covetous attitude would say this. And this is the wrong attitude. You're always looking for what you don't have in the provisions that God's given you. God's given me a family, but what he hasn't given me is these things that I want in my family. God's given me a wife, but... She doesn't possess these qualities that I want her to have. God's given me a husband, but, but he doesn't have what I want. And what you're saying is the provision that God gave, instead of you think you need, instead of understanding this, that the manna is exactly what you need because God made it exactly for you to survive the Christian life. It becomes sin when you yield yourself to it. Let me ask you this question. You, I... I um, this family, they were, in their, they were in their 30s, early 30s. I pastored them in Georgia, and they came to me, and they said, we, we just, we're, I mean, they were, they were ready to, to split. And I said, what is wrong? Finances. And two, there's, we sat down, and they were, they were, she, she was going to have their fourth child, and they were living in a two-bedroom apartment. And getting ready to have the fourth child. And I said, okay, that, no problem. Let's look at your finances. I sat in their living room, and, and I said, let's pull everything out. All right, this is, I said, what, what, what we need to do is you need to get into a different apartment. And they only had one, one vehicle, and he would take the vehicle on post, and she'd be home with three kids in the two-bedroom apartment and just barely surviving. And I said, okay, well, let's look at these finances. Now, he, he was a federal worker, so I, I knew what he, could, he made. You could just go on the Internet. I knew his rank, and I knew what he made. So I had this in my mind and I thought, okay, with this, with this amount of money, you can afford this, this, and this. And I knew what apartments cost. And, and so I felt like I did my homework ready to go meet with them. And I sat down with them and heard their issues. And I said, well, what we need to do is you need to get into a bigger apartment. And what we need to do is look and see. And I said, let's look at all the finances. And then they threw the piece on. They, ne- they forgot to tell me the $50,000 credit card debt. And I just looked at him. I said, you have a two-bedroom apartment. You have one vehicle. Where is this $50,000 that you spent? Well, we, you see, sin isn't, I want to buy something. And I walk, and I haven't sinned yet. I pull my credit card out, and I, I see this whatever that I need, and why well, I want that. And sin isn't, well, I picked it up off the counter, and I'm walking down the aisle. I haven't sinned yet. I put it down in front of the lady that's going to ring me out, or the man's going to ring me out. I haven't sinned yet. You know when it is sin? When I take that credit card, and I swipe that credit card. And I purchase that because I need it. I got to have this thing that is going to put me in bondage. I have to have cucumbers and I have to have leeks and and I'll do whatever I have to do to to put me back into bondage. And when you do that, you sin. You sin. Sin. Laying there in bed thinking about that chocolate cake in the refrigerator. How many of you have ever done that? 
we had company. We had company on Monday evening, and they came over, and they bought this chocolate cake. And the problem was this. My wife was sitting at dinner with us, so I could not eat the chocolate cake at dinner. But I knew that chocolate cake, where it got put, and I was laying there. And it was about midnight, and you ever lay there at midnight, you're sound asleep, and all of a sudden it's, there's chocolate cake in the refrigerator. <laughs> and she's snoring. That means she's asleep. Get out of the bed. I haven't sinned yet. Tiptoe around so that the old house boards don't creak. I haven't sinned yet. Walk into the refrigerator. Look at it. The door's still shut, but I know what's in there. I haven't sinned yet. I open it up, and there it is. I mean, it... Oh, you know, <laughs> chocolate speaks when it's about 12.15 and you're hungry. You get a fork real slow because the drawer sticks. And you can hear all the way in my bedroom and if it clangs, you know. It becomes sin when I put that fork in that cake and I put it in my mouth knowing I shouldn't be eating this chocolate cake but I have to have this because I need this and become sin I'm coveting and we do this so often I want you to write this down number two when we dwell on or on desire yielding is just a matter of time when we dwell on desire when you lay there and you just dwell on it how many of you have convinced yourself before you bought a major purchase? When you know you should not buy that major purchase, but you have convinced yourself you need it because you have thought through it for so long, you've envisioned it there. You've envisioned yourself sitting in it. You've envisioned yourself living in it. You've envisioned yourself with this to the place where now you have to have it because it's become a part of you because you've desired it for so long. I... My lease was up, and I went to see Tyler, and he showed me the keys. I said, I just want the same thing. I got there, and the truck that was the same thing, it wasn't the same thing. Because who wants the same thing? And I said, what does that have? And he says, this has 20-inch rims. And I said, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. And this one has this and has that. And I'm like, man, oh, man, that... I need all of those things. I need every one of the things that he said this new truck had. I mean, because the old one just wasn't getting me to where I needed to go. I needed these things. I mean, it has 320 channels on the radio. I only listen to one, but I need all of the other ones because I have to have these things, right? And, and then it's like that one, but that one has leather. And that one has a sunroof. And by the time we're done, I, I, I'm just go sit in it. I'm sitting in a leather truck with 20-inch wheels. I, I, I don't know what that means, but it, I, I knew they were 20-inch wheels. And, I, and it had a sunroof. And the thing, I just kept opening it and closing it and opening it and closing it. I live less than three miles. I need that opening and closing for three miles to get to the church, you know, and the longer I sat there, and I was so glad my wife, she just, she literally ripped me out of that truck and said, get out of that truck. You're coveting something and you don't need any of those things. But listen to me, the longer I sat in it, you know what I began to do? I began to convince myself I needed every one of those things. 
And the more that we dwell on desire, the more we yielding is just a matter of time. The longer you dwell on something, the more you'll begin to convince yourself that you have to have it. Listen, verse number four and verse number five. The more the Israelites thought about Egypt and all the food that was back in Egypt, you know what they said? We need meat. The more they thought about bondage, the more they thought what God's provisions weren't enough. And the more you as a Christian, as a child of God, the more you think about the things that you don't need, the more you convince yourself that God's provisions are not enough. He just doesn't understand what I need. And the reality is this, he knows exactly what you need. Everything that you needed was in this thing called manna. It's called God's provision. And listen, hear me please. This is where the dentist gets in and says, this is going to pinch. Everything that God has given you is all you need. Anything else puts you back into bondage. Anything else says this, God, your provisions aren't enough. God, what you have for me, I need more. And we begin to covet. And hear me this, please, this evening. The problem with covetousness isn't always the credit card debt goes up. Isn't always I have a house payment that I can't afford. Isn't always as I have a, house, a car that I'm, I'm upside down in until, you know, I got a good deal on this. And, I, and, and, and they'll give you, you tell, them, you tell them how much you want to pay and they just stretch it out. You know, now you owe it for 10 years. And you get into year five and you're done with this vehicle.